Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country or around the world. This is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel. Always happy to be with you, excited even to share various thoughts. We should be able in our world to discuss anything as open, honest people. I certainly don't have all the answers, and I continue to prove that every time we uh, have these sessions, but I'm certainly anxious to uh, pursue them. And we have a guest today that is going to really help us do that. Uh, He is really a sensational man. I'm turning the table on him because I met David Householder when he had a radio show out of Minnesota and he interviewed me a couple of times. We stayed in contact, have become friends. He actually uh, moved out to uh, Southern California from uh, Minnesota as well. So uh, we're, we're close time friends. Uh, this, this segment is called Toward a Libertarian World and it is with this person uh, who is simply well-rounded, experienced, articulate, compassionate, He's a minister, he's a libertarian, he is a promoter, as he says, also a builder, I'm not sure what that means, David, but we'll find out, a fundraiser, a teacher, an author, and a broadcaster. So my goodness sakes, you know, he he is a man who is articulate, and we're looking forward to having him on this show. Uh, he told me, or maybe I told him just a moment ago, that I have a great face for radio, uh, but uh, he has a great voice, and is just a great face all the way around. So, David Householder, thank you for being with us, and uh, please introduce yourself a little bit more to our to our friends here. Well, it's great to be here, Judge Gray. I'm out here in Borrego Springs, California right now. My wife and I have a second home out here, and I am actually sitting in the desert talking to you. It's beautiful out here. California is a beautiful, beautiful state. I pastor a church in Huntington Beach, California, Orange County. I also work for Concordia University. I'm putting together an engineering school for them, which is going to be starting in the fall of 2021. I just do all kinds of things. I've been self-employed most of my life, and the typical libertarian career path, I suppose, trying lots of different things. And it's just a, such a blessing to be with you. You're, you're one of the people I admire. You're one of my heroes. So it's great to be on the air with you. Well, thank you, David. And, and modesty aside, this fellow is a Fulbright scholar at the University of Bonn in Germany. Uh, he is a former host of the Bottom Line, it was called, on KBRT AM 740 Radio. Again, that's how we met. And he's an author of four books. I read your Blackberry Bush, David, and just thought it was really insightful, really helpful for people to see themselves, see how their life would be. Tell us a little bit about the theme of the Blackberry Bush that you wrote. Yeah, well, the Blackberry Bush is a coming-of-age novel. It's intended mostly for young adults and grandparents. Parents kind of uh, get left out of that book because grandparents and grandkids have a special relationship. I've always joked that grandparents and grandkids get along so well because they have a mutual enemy, the parents. And uh, there's just a special bond there. And uh, we get a lot from our grandparents. And it's a story about young people growing up and gathering wisdom from their grandparents. And uh, I just had an awful lot of fun writing that. 
strongly recommend it to our listeners here. And by the way, David, when I would be on the adoptions calendar, I would frequently the people that were about to adopt the child would bring in uh, hats and and uh, whistles and all the rest of that, and they'd bring in potential grandparents as well. And as you know, uh, before someone can adopt a child, they have to swear under penalty of perjury that they will treat this child as if it were their natural child, uh, as well as for purposes of inheritance. So I'd make them do that, and then I would actually have the grandparents raise their hand because you have an mm. obligation as well, and that is to spoil the grandchildren. And they said, oh, yes, we can do that. And of course, they would, but that is the natural role under, of a grandparent. Uh, tell us a little bit about, surgery. You, you have three other books as well. Tell us a little bit about those just briefly. Well, I wrote a Bible study on Galatians called The Book of Faith, and you can pick that up at Oxford Fortress. I also wrote a book called Light Your Church on Fire Without Burning It Down, which is a, a book about spirituality and the Holy Spirit. And I wrote a book called The Seven Secrets for a Meaningful Life, which is my best-selling book, and that is to be found almost anywhere, and it's just a basic self-help book, and it's got some liberty principles in there, some spiritual principles, and just sort of a compendium of things I've, I've thought about as, I, as I've aged. Oh, come on, David, tell the truth now. You, you, you didn't come up with the title, Light Your Church on Fire, But Don't Burn It Down, did you? Well, no, actually, a friend of mine, Bob Rongling, came up with that. I, I was part of a writing group. None of us had written books. We got together, and we decided we were going to help each other write books. And we did that for years, and we finally did, and he came up with that title. So I, it's true, you found me out. I did not come up with that title. You know, this fellow also teaches surfing. Talk about being well-rounded and uh, really can ably discuss virtually any subject. So we're going to put him to the test. Uh, by the way, the biggest point on his resume is that he's married to his wife, Wendy. I think he would openly acknowledge that as well. Uh, you done good on that one, David. Absolutely. Uh, most men marry up because this just the way biology is set up. You know, women are <laughs> a lot better at things than men do often. And so I'm very blessed, as you are, Judge Gray, to uh, have married up. And I've been married to Wendy for a long, long time. I'm, we're coming up on 40 years here in not too, not too distant future. Good gracious. You were married when you were at the age of six? It was, we were 10 years old. It was an Indian yeah. arranged marriage in yeah, India. Yeah, so yeah. It's, uh, I bet. So tell us a little bit. Uh, you became, you said, a libertarian at the in the eighth grade. Uh, what 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 happened? Uh, give us give us the the insight as to that experience. Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting in the back row in civics class in eighth grade, Mr. Roach's class. I'll never forget that name, Mr. Roach. And they were going over with an overhead projector the Bill of Rights. And I raised my hand and I asked, "When did we stop doing these?" And it wasn't that I was all that insightful. This was an honest question. It seemed like at least half of those things were were no longer in practice. And, oh, we do, we do. I said, no, but there's this one and this one and this one and this one. And that got me thinking. And I started to think, here's these wonderful rights, which are natural rights, for goodness sake, not given to us by the government. They're, they're just human rights that the government is protecting for us. And I thought, my goodness, uh, that's not happening anymore. That's not a good thing. And that got me thinking. And ever since then, I've had a healthy skepticism of, of government and central planning being the answer for anything. Because those, those, those rights in the Bill of Rights just seemed so natural, so self-evidently true. And uh, it's kind of a big thought for an eighth grader. But very often, some of our big thoughts come out of those times where we see some conflict in what's going on. I 
believe that most people are libertarian. We have a live and let live philosophy. We have a philosophy of, of responsibility at all levels of life, individual, uh, company, corporate, uh, governmental groups, that sort of thing. Uh, so I invite our our listeners to go to, when you have a chance, the website www.isidewith.com, the letter I-S-I-D-E-W-I-T-H.com. This is private. Answer a few questions, which get a little bit sophisticated, and then you can see where you fit on the political scale. Uh, David, have you ever done that? Because I think you'd find it interesting. Yes, I have, quite a while ago, but I really agree with you that most people live as if they were libertarians. They respect people until they're until there's a reason to do otherwise. They try to be polite. They try to stay out of other people's business. They try to take responsibility for their own lives and for take responsibility for their communities and for the organizations they're a part of, and they try to do a good job with that. And most people operate under libertarian principles in their daily lives, and that's what the Founding Fathers knew. They realized this is natural human behavior, and they tried to encode that in the Constitution to protect it, not to invent it. It's not that the Constitution invented uh, uh, natural rights or libertarianism or, or classical liberalism or whatever you want to call it. It's sort of the natural way of being. Our minds are free. They really are. You can make somebody do something through torture, but you can't make them think something because our very nature is definitely free. We, we experience free choice all the time. I, in, in our peer court, talk with high school students and try to generate the thought. And, and more and more when people think about it, they agree. There's no such thing as peer pressure kind of like you were saying, David Householder, that we are responsible for what we do. We can't control the things that happen to us frequently, but we can virtually always control our response. And so, oh, no, it was peer pressure that made me do it. Nonsense. It's, it was your actions. You have a choice, and you have a responsibility for those choices that you make. That's a very libertarian thought that most people subscribe to. It's hard to live up to it. We all understand that. We all fail in many ways, but but this is the, the striving and you also mentioned the Constitution, which I think is the most brilliant document written by the hand of man, at least. I'll stay away from the, the Bibles and the religious works, but, but it is. And I, I, because, and David, you know this, I've written this m musical called Convention, The Birth of America. So I've really been looking into the founders, uh, and I say founders because there are women that were founders as well. But, but the issue that all of the delegates to the 1787 Constitutional Convention agreed upon. They, they argued and fought about a lot of things, but the thing they all agreed to to a person was that the most important function of government is safeguarding our liberties from the encroachment of government. The second most important was security, was keeping us safe. But like mm -hmm. you in the eighth grade, David, we've gotten away from that so badly. And uh, I think that, that you're, you're saying exactly right. So you, you had said why you were probably a libertarian and just aren't aware of it, I think most people fit into that category. Is that kind of what we're saying? Oh, absolutely. That's the way we live our lives. So freedom is one of the most basic things we experience in our minds all the time. Free choice, responsibility. And responsibility goes with that, too. A lot of people think that libertarians are just to do anything you want no matter what happens to other people. That's not true. Uh, we do highly prize responsibility. Responsibility goes hand-in-hand hand with freedom. 
that's what, what happened with me, that I was a lifelong Republican until the passage of the so-called Patriot Act uh, after we went into, after we had 9-11. And uh, that just did me in. I, I could not be a part of any group that would condone, much less assist, this direct frontal attack on our civil liberties. The Patriot Act is simply un-American from my standpoint. Oh, it, it, and most people have no idea why that's the truth, but it is. It is the truth, and the truth is also that this podcast will be recorded, and I'm not a conspiracy guy at all, but uh, this, this podcast will be recorded on a, on a computer in Utah, and it will be scanned for certain phrases. There, it's just fascinating how the government has is, is encroached almost every part of our lives. For instance, taxation. Basically, the government would like to have a cut of every single transaction we make. Well, for that to be the case, and for there to be fair taxation along those lines, they have to know about every single transaction. And that's an awful lot for anybody to know about another person. Yes, it is. And it is amazing. Of course, now the government can track us. If you have your cell phone on, they can tell where we are at any given moment, uh, past or, or present. So... It, Facial recognition cameras are, are certainly out there. Uh, it's just These are scary things to me because I just don't want the, the The response of many people is, well, what do you have to hide? That's not the issue. The issue is that you have a government that is overseeing your every move. Uh, who knows who will eventually control that government? It's just simply the thing that would have our founders take up arms against us if that's the government that we went into. And, and that is the government we're going into to the degree. And I, David, I know you have met with people many times in this regard. They have come from totalitarian regimes. Maybe they've come here from China or from you know, wherever, you know, Afghanistan, whatever. And then they see that our government here is becoming like the government that they fled from North Korea. And they're askance. We, many of us who were born here, don't don't take that so seriously or so with such concern. But those people uh, who have come over from, from Cuba, from wherever, uh, are really worried. And I think they have a right to be. Oh, absolutely. As, as Lord Acton said, Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we're not for government fixing things. We're for less government, because the more government you have, the more opportunities you have for corruption. The bigger the government is, the bigger the corruption opportunities. And the more power they have, the, the harder it is to resist corruption for those people who are tempted by it. Uh, for instance, this whole Ukraine thing that's going on right now, it's a, it really is about a gigantic gift of money to Ukraine. And Why? Uh, that's a lot of money to float around in a country like that and hundreds of millions and that starts happening and corruption sets in. It's just, well, you, uh, if we had less government, we'd have less corruption. I'll, and that's certainly clue. In fact, if you want to get gov money out of government, you have to get government out of money is kind of the trite phrase, but exactly. it's just simply true. And yeah. I, in, in addition, I mean, my philosophy is, and I'll run this by you, that if I were bleeding on the street right here, you would have no legal obligation to help me unless you caused my injuries. That would be different. Uh, no legal obligation, but we will because we want to, because we're compassionate people. That's right. But I'm not entitled That's to right. it. It's just maybe I'd even be appreciative. And then if you also get into things like... We had a, a visitor, we had a guest on this show that was talking about the Nepal youth program. David, I am convinced, and I've now donated to it, that they go over in the small remote villages in Nepal and put in a nutrition center. And they have 
children that are literally dying, wasting away of malnutrition. And within 30 days after they give them some nutrition, and, and these are, this is all food and nutrition in the area, so it's not brought in. Within 30 days, they're effervescent, they're bubbly, they're everything else. And then they teach the mother uh, the important lessons of nutrition as well. And then the mother goes back to other remote places and teaches her friends. This is all done by foundations. This is done by private individuals, private donations. They do it far more effectively than government. Oh my goodness, yes. It, uh, along, with, along with freedom, the, one of the biggest human instincts is compassion. And people have different kinds of compassion. You might have compassion for a certain cause. I might have compassion for another cause. But we have an incentive for helping out in those ways. And the problem with government is you can't outsource compassion. When you outsource compassion to government, you outsource compassion to an organization that doesn't, doesn't share that incentive and doesn't share that, uh, the passion you have for a certain cause. I, I've, I've seen people in the private sector do amazing things for other people because they really do care about that one thing. And I think most of us have a handful of things that we care an awful lot about. And if the government didn't confiscate 40% of our income, we might be able to have a little bit left over to do that. Uh, and, and that's actual, because for most of us, if you think about it, of every dollar you earn, probably what David Householder just said there is correct, that about four. 40 cents goes to the government, income taxes, property taxes, gasoline taxes, you know, cigarette tax, all of these sorts of things add up. And of course, uh, Ronald Reagan once said that we should do away with withholding because then it, you don't feel the pain when you give this money to the government for your income taxes. Uh, it's very convenient that way for everybody, but he's certainly right. But in addition, <clears throat> I donate money to something called Oxfam, O-X-F-A-M, a private organization mm -hmm. that gets involved in doing mini loans on the ground in various villages and, and cities around the world so that you don't give the money to the government there because you know if you give it to the government it usually ends up in government officials driving Mercedes cars and having Swiss bank accounts but instead you give like a $50, $100 loan to frequently women in these places, what do they do? Well, they'll buy a sewing machine or they'll buy a couple of goats or whatever and then they have these small industries in which they profit. They, they can see how their actions here, if I make start making clothes that I can make money from them and I learn and I learn diligence and learn responsibility and they also, of course, demand that this $100 loan be paid back probably at like 50 cents a week or whatever, but it works. So, the private organizations just do it so much more effectively than government. And I know you see this all the time, David. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Acton Institute in Michigan has a, has a film out. And uh, I'm going to think of the name of it here in just a second. Um, but anyways, it's a film about Africa. And it's a film by Africans. And it talks about what they really need from us. And what they would really like from us is for us to help them stop corruption and to institute rule of, of, of law and, and, and steady contracts and those kinds of things, because the corruption is what's killing them. We can send more money there, but it really doesn't, uh, doesn't fix the situation. Uh, we, we, need, we need to understand that it's, we're, we have a very precious thing in this country. We have rule of law, and it's not perfect, but we're very blessed by it. And the idea that uh, somebody has a contract with you, they have to keep it. And there is an above-boardness of it. And the countries with the least corruption in this world are the ones that are doing the best. And we can work with other countries to do those things in cooperation. And we can model that here. That's, that's what really, really helps, is uh, helping, 
helping governments understand that freedom and honesty and handshakes being binding and those kind of things are really helpful for society. And you landed on something critically important. If you look at Africa, they have natural resources, they have talented people, they have dedication, and almost all of the governments in Africa, I don't want to overstate this, but it's pretty close, almost all the governments in Africa are corrupt. They are attacking their own people. They're having these pogroms. They're having this, this, this famine, all because of the corruption in government. And I don't know why that has happened, except maybe that they were originally colonized and, and kind of corrupted that way. And then England's and Portugal's and, and other countries of this world kind of withdrew. And it just left a void that they weren't quite ready for. And they get these strong men and this, this, this terrible corruption in the governments of Africa. That's where we should help. I fully agree instead of just throwing money at the situation. But you mentioned to me, and, and I, I caught my attention, David, uh, um, that why voting libertarian is not throwing your vote away. What did you mean by that statement? Well, I hear this all the time. I tell people I'm going to vote libertarian, and they say, well, that's throwing your vote away. And I'm thinking, well, what do you mean by that? I, really, if you look at it philosophically, and this isn't really a practical thought, it's more of a philosophical thought, but... Aren't you throwing your vote away if you endorse a candidate that you're not for? Aren't you really throwing it away if you're endorsing big government, either right-wing big government with the Republicans or left-wing big government with the Democrats? You can't tell the difference anymore as far as big government goes. Republicans used to say they were the small government people, but they're really not. They're for massive military spending and everything else. And uh, the spending, which just, just... drives me nuts, along with military, is the subsidizing of retired people who are wealthy. Uh, it needs to be means-tested, for goodness sake. You've got, uh, you've got Social Security, you've got Medicare, those kind of things. You've got people with 45-foot motorhomes going on four cruises a year getting big checks from the government. And uh, the truth is, I'm going to get a bigger check for Social Security than a poor grandma in, in Florida living in a, in a trailer court. That's not fair. It, uh, it's just crazy how it's all set up. If you take away the subsidies to wealthy retired people and the military, you're looking at half the budget gone. People just don't don't focus on those things. And now, of course, we're getting into all of this politics of giving away free stuff. And, and they, all of the politicians do it. They have different people that they give our money to, but it's just, right. it's just uncanny where people in politics are simply buying our votes with promises. <clears throat> Milton Friedman, again, my hero, and I expect yours, David Householder, uh, said, and this would be a positive revolution in our country if we've adopted it, that we should judge our programs by the results, not their good intentions. And boy, you get into things like rent control or minimum wages where they're actually literally harming the people that they purport to want to help. Uh, and, but it sounds good. So that's kind of where we go. And, and libertarians cut through that. And we're, we're not survival of the fittest. Uh, Ian Rand did us a disservice by saying greed is good. Now, it was good for her writing her novels and the rest. But, but greed means that you're going to act and, and be responsible for your actions and then be able to reap what you sow to be able to win the the rewards for your labor and that basically is what she meant by greed is good but that's the way libertarians seem to be stamped you also said and of course you are a minister uh, at the uh, uh, 
the well at Surf City is, is called your, your church. You say you have good reasons for Christians to be libertarians, not Republicans. What did you mean by that before we go on our break? Well, I, I think Repub- a lot of Christians just sort of in a gut sense uh, follow Republicans. It's sort of a, a gut sensibility thing because they sense that Republicans are people who want to preserve certain social institutions, and they see liberals as people trying to take them away. And there's people, it's easier to mess things up than it is to make them better, especially with big government central planning. And they have an instinct that way. But the truth is, the Bible has always had a dark skepticism against the state. Herod, Caesar, uh, the Pharaoh are never the heroes. Those are the people that we need to watch out for, and I've got a lot more to say about that after the break. (laughs) You know... I just wrote that down, what you said. It's easier to mess things up than put them together, and that's for sure. I still remember seeing a Peanuts cartoon where I think it was uh, uh, Charlie Brown that would see us build a sandcastle and then kick it down, and then build another sandcastle and kick it down. And he says, I'm always torn between creating and destroying, and that's kind of the deal there, too. But 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 it's just true. Of course, Libertarians don't take positions with regard to religious issues other than you have the freedom to worship as you wish. And that's, of course, Thomas Jefferson goes back to that as well, classic libertarian who said that I don't care if you worship one god, 20 gods, or no god, it doesn't pick my pocket and it doesn't break my leg. You know, just religion should be by persuasion, and that's beautiful, but by by coercion and by force is simply wrong. And if you have the government involved in religion, that corrupts religion, and if you have religion involved in government, that corrupts the government as well. So basically just leave that alone, and that is a full-throttled libertarian approach. One final thought then, David, on that subject, and then we'll go to a break. Well, a lot, of, a lot of people think that Jesus was for taxation because he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. But there's another story where uh, Jesus is asked if he's paid a certain tax, and he says, uh, no, I haven't paid that tax, but go down to, the, go down to the, the water there, pull out a fish and pull out a gold coin and give it to those folks. And then he says, you can pay that tax, but we don't owe that tax. But just to keep them off of our backs, he says, let's just get it paid so we can go on with our business. So Jesus is not endorsing Caesar or endorsing Pontius Pilate. And outsourcing compassion to the government is like outsourcing organization to the DMV. It just makes no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, I have heard this minister, David Householder, preach in his church. He is always worth listening to. He has that perspective. He has those insights. He has that wisdom. And we're going to hear more of those. See, I'm, I'm putting the heat on you, David, but we're going to hear a little bit more of that after we come back from these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. 
the Libertarian Party, is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. After hearing those messages, uh, we've got you surrounded on this regard. But again, I'm talking here with my guest, David Householder, just a, a bright, sophisticated, well-rounded fellow, huh, teaching surfing indeed. But uh, go to the the website of www.isidewith.com. I, I'm, I, I'm convinced that you will find this to be quite revealing, and you certainly don't have to share it with anybody. Although, candidly, uh, I was talking about this a few sessions ago on this show, uh, All Rise, and uh, my producer, actually, while we were talking, went to that that uh, website and then told me in my earphones that well he came back at a 73% libertarian which I announced immediately as breaking news I think that you will be surprised how libertarian in your views you are uh, and this is, segment is entitled toward a libertarian world because that's where we're going or at least we should be so I'm also asked by my wife uh, Grace to add a little levity to this show uh, and usually I do it right after the break so I'm going to tell you and David Householder you may not have heard this but uh, Forrest Gump recently died uh, not the actor Tom Hanks but Forrest Gump and I have it on good authority that Forrest Gump was up at the pearly gates talking to St. Peter and St. Peter was looking through the book of life and saying well Forrest you seem to have li- lived a pretty good life you probably ate too many chocolates but we, d- we don't hold that against you up here but like everywhere else in the universe we're, we become more bureaucratic and so now before you can get into heaven, you have to answer three questions correctly. Well, what's he going to do? I'll, 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 okay. So the first question, Forrest, is name me two days of the week that start with the letter T. Forrest thought for a moment and said, well, today and tomorrow. St. Peter rocks back on his heels a little bit. That wasn't exactly what I was expecting, but I, I got to give you credit for that. But, but in the, next, the next question, you may need a calculator for this, is uh, – Forrest, how many seconds are there in the world? Excuse me. How many seconds are there in a year? Forrest thinks for a few minutes, doesn't use a calculator, and says, well, there are 12. Says, well, what do you mean by that? Well, there's January 2nd, February 2nd, March 2nd, April 2nd. And again, St. Peter kind of rocks back on his heels, but I'll, I've got to give you credit for that one as well. The last question, and this may be a little harder, is what is God's first name? Oh, Forrest Gump lights up immediately. Oh, I've known that since Sunday school. I've known that forever. It's Andy. St. Peter looks at him, what, what, how did you get that? 
and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he oh, makes no. me. So I am happy to say now that Forrest Gump is in heaven. I knew you'd be pleased. That uh, I'm going to steal that, and I'm going to give you credit, too. <laughs> well, okay. Plagiarism is good in this regard. I, I stole it from someone else, but feel free. So we were talking before the break on good reasons for Christians to be libertarians, uh, not not anything else. Uh, and you were I interrupted you to have those good words. Uh, you're on a roll, though. Uh, what is What are some reasons for Christians to be libertarians, Minister David Householder? Well, first of all, the entire storyline of the Old Testament is freedom from tyranny. It's getting out from under Pharaoh, where the Israelites were slaves, and starting a new nation together, which is based on freedom. And that's the whole storyline. That's not just a little a little footnote or something. That's the whole thing. And so the idea of Jewish people having slaves is preposterous, because they look back and think, my goodness, we were once slaves in Egypt, and we were freed. And the freeing of slaves and the freedom from tyranny, and Pharaoh is the bad guy in the entire Old Testament, and getting out from under that. So the Israelites get to the Promised Land, and there's a prophet named Samuel. And for 400 years, the Israelites had no government. They only had, you'll get this, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Judge Gray, they only had judges. The whole book of the Bible is called Judges. There was no bureaucracy, just judges. Because if there's one thing we do need in government, is someone to settle disputes and those kinds of things. And so they had judges. And Samuel was one of those people. And the people came to Samuel at the end of this phase, and they said, we want a king like everyone else. And he literally says in the Bible, and you can look this up, says, no, you don't want a king. The king's going to draft you. The king's going to tax you. The king's going to own your property. The king's going to take a, a, a piece of everything you've got, and you're going to lose all your freedom. And they said, no, we still want one. And the rest is history. From the minute they had a king, Israelite civilization slowly took a dive down to the destruction of the temple in 587 B.C., David, I just, I'm agog at what you tell us. Uh, this just comes out of you. You're, you're so well read. Uh, you speak numbers of languages, too, by the way. But you're also one of the authors on our project understanding, for which, again, I thank yes. you. And this is a, a project in which we address commonalities among the world's religions, uh, the major religions, minor religions, whatever. And, uh, of course, and you can go to our website. Again, I'm throwing off all these websites, but I think you'd be really appreciate it out there uh, and anyone listening. www.project, spelled P-R-O hyphen J-E-C-T understanding.com, projectunderstanding.com, and read some of these articles, because read one by David Householder, but one that, David, just hit me over the head of the commonalities among the world's religions is that the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians all trace their religious beliefs back to the God of Abraham. It's the same God, for heaven's sake, for heaven's sake indeed, that's a choice of words, but uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's something that we should understand because we are all worshiping the same God, at least in those three religions, so why are we castigating each other and, and polarizing ourselves. We're all brothers under the same God. And and you, of course, have numbers of commonalities as well and know a lot more about it than I do. I just, I read about it, but I don't write. But, but that just has to be an overwhelming commonality. What are others, David? Well, I find that spiritual people of all faith systems 
have an awful lot in common. They they do. Uh, there's one of the problems with religion is we tend to major in the minors and we minor in the majors. We we tend to look at those things which divide us rather than those things which bring us together. And you look at their principles in any thought system, let alone faith system, and they tend to converge along things like the golden rule: do unto others as you would have others do unto you, or at least avoid those things which you didn't want people to do to you. And looking at those kind of basic respect for each other and basic respect for the planet and respect for, for the being who brought us here is, is pretty common in most thought systems. And to focus on those things, I think, is really key. And what I find in most every faith family is the more spiritual orientation a person has, the more they have in common with you. Uh, I often, as a Christian, as a very committed Christian, have more in common with a, a spiritual uh, Jew or a spiritual Muslim than I do with less spiritual people in my own faith system. So I, I think that we need to start majoring in the majors. If, if we look at the big things, and those things which divide us do divide us. We can't pretend they're not there. Just like political views or philosophical views or economic views, there's nothing wrong with that, having disagreements. But being honest about those and yet highlighting those things which bring us together in the Christian faith, for goodness sake, it talks about uh, us being made in the image of God. And that's, that's shared by a lot of faith systems. And if we're made in the image of God, that means every other human being has a spark of the divine in them. And if that's the case... We need to respect that, and we need to make sure that we don't aggress against that uh, divine part of every other person, whether or not they follow our faith system. Hear ye, hear ye. Did you make up that saying, major in the minors and minor in the majors, David? No, but it sure happens a lot. And it happens (laughs) in politics, too, and it happens in economics, and it happens in sports, for goodness sake. Of course it does. We go on, because we've had a, a discussion before we were going to uh, tape this show, and you mentioned why a property tax is a most unethical tax. Uh, how do you view that? I haven't seen that particularly myself. I'm going to be listening to you. Why is a property tax the most unethical tax? Well, property tax goes back to feudalism, and feudalism, of course, was the main political system in, in Europe in the Middle Ages. And it's where the lord of the, the county, or the count, that's where we get the word county, the count who owned this whole area, would uh, sort of parcel out farm plots to serfs, serfdom, feudalism. And you never really owned it. And uh, you owed a, a portion of whatever you produced to the prince or the count or whoever it was, the nobility, and he was then obligated to protect you. And when we first started this country, there's there's uh, something called allodial land. Allodial land means land that is not owned by the government, is not taxable. And church property has been allodial land since for almost a thousand years because of the conflict at Canossa. And that was the basic idea that the, the state has to keep its hands out of the offering plate and vice versa. And that was the origin of separation of church and state, not Jefferson. That goes way back. Jefferson was just highlighting that, and he was right in doing so. But uh, property tax is the idea that uh, you don't own your land. Real estate is from the Spanish word real, which means royal land. And the truth is you can't own land in America. You think you do, but the truth is if you pay off your property, pay off your mortgage, you still have to pay rent to the count. We call it the county. You send it to the county, and in it goes, and... If you really want to find out who owns your land, pay off your property, and you'll still be paying rent. It's, it's something which is horrific. When, uh, when Jefferson was abroad, when he was in Europe, they passed laws putting property tax in when he wasn't there because he was very much against it. And he came back, and he was horrified that that had happened. 
because you can't have free people if you can't have free and clear land. And this is where property tax gets really insidious. You don't really own the land that you're on. And people don't realize it because they pay mortgages most of their lives. They don't realize that uh, rent to – one of my biggest expenses is rent to the county for the property that I own. Sure. You know, I, I wrote a musical that I, I don't know if you've seen. It's called Americans All, and it's talking about trying to mentor our, our high school students, junior high school students. And one of the things that I had in there, they had the teacher in the classroom saying, oh, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to tell – oh, what's that? What's that, teacher? It's fun to learn. Oh, but it's true. The more you learn, the more you see that things are connected. Things don't just happen by accident. And we just heard one of them here. David Householder, I've never focused on this before, but yes, it was a feudal system. And yes, it was owned by the counts. And that's how the word county came into existence. And again, these things are not an accident, but it's just fascinating to learn them. The more you learn, the more it's just fun to learn more things. Things are connected. These are not accidents. So, So indeed so. You also say that we all need to know Jordan Peterson, who is pushing back against the state. Candidly, I don't know yes, much about is. Jordan P- Peterson. Who is he, and what is he doing? Well, Jordan Peterson is arguably the most popular intellectual in the world right now, in the English-speaking world. He can pack a stadium of mostly young, smart men who come to listen to him, and for whatever reason, young males, he tends to gather them. But he is a psychoanalyst from Canada, and he's a professor at the University of Toronto, and he got in rather serious trouble because Trudeau, who is the prime minister, and the government pushed through a law saying how people needed to speak around gender. And they created a law saying that uh, you have to say certain things around people with very complex gender, otherwise you can go to jail or you can be fined. Now, Jordan Peterson is, is not against people doing whatever they want with their gender. That's, that's not what he's against. But he's against the government telling us how we have to talk and punishing us if we talk a certain way. And he was asked if, if he were to meet a, a transsexual person presenting as female, what, what, uh, what pronoun would you use? And he said, I'd use she because that'd be polite, but I don't want to be told by the government to do that and told that I will be punished if I don't. And uh, he stood up for that and basically won the argument in Canada, which was a, which was a big victory for free speech. Uh, free speech is not there to protect popular speech. Because popular speech is, is comfortable, that's fine. It's there to protect uncomfortable speech. And it's one of the greatest things we have in America. And uh, Canada, of course, doesn't have free speech to the extent that we do, but he was one who stood up for it. And I think that that's an excellent thing. He also stands up for, um, for personal responsibility, much the way you do, Judge Gray. And it's, it's fun to see someone standing up for that. He says, before you go on a big protest, make, go home and make your bed. Get your act together. Uh, and then people will respect you. And there's something to that. Take responsibility for your life and uh, get out there and make something happen. Go home and make your bed. That's another one I'm writing yeah. down. And by the way, make and your bed first. David, yeah, and what, what you said is just so fundamentally important in our free society or our increasingly less free society. But you go back to this and I'll start over. The, probably the most important 
branch of government in our country is the judiciary because the presidency, the executive is elected by the majority, so it would cater to the majority. And the legislature, Congress is elected by the majority, so they're concerned about majority rights. It's only the judiciary that is concerned with minority rights. And of course, we're all in a majority in some ways and in a minority in others. So we look to our court system to uphold our minority rights. And so certainly, how you how you phrase things. Obviously, the social animals that we are, we we don't want to alienate people. We don't want to unnecessarily hurt people's feelings. And like we say there, you know, we'll uh, address a transsexual woman as the the pronoun she, if that's what you want. And that's perfectly fine. The reason I'm going through this, and David, I know you're aware of this, is that there was, after the Second World War, some real... (laughs) crazy people, mindless people, in my opinion, that were marching through Skokie, Illinois, dressed in Nazi uniforms and and having the Nazi flag and and giving the Heil Hitler salutes and the rest. And the police tried to arrest them and stop this from happening. And the Supreme Court said, no, you know, this is freedom of speech in our country. And Skokie, Illinois had a lot of Jews living there. It was just a heinous idea. But the Constitution protects us in doing that. And, of course, nobody has to listen. You have a right to speak, but you don't have the right to have people listen. But it's the judiciary that is supporting the bulwark of what America is. And the, the, the reason that America is so, the United States is so special is because our freedoms and our liberties, and our freedoms and liberties, in my opinion, are under direct attack from today. And I'm going to look up Jordan Peterson because he sure sounds like a hero to me. Yeah, it really, it's true. It, it, uncomfortable speech needs to be protected because most great new ideas start out as uncomfortable ideas. And if we squelch them at the very beginning, they'll never have a chance to, to be aired out. And if they're terrible ideas, we'll find out soon enough. So but the idea that you can't say them just pushes, it just pushes them underground. Well, when I was in law school, <laughs> a lot longer ago than three years ago, but I heard that they were talking about putting a chip into people's brain that if they were pedophiles, if they would even think about uh, molesting a, a child sexually, whatever, that it'd get a little electric shock. I don't think that was accurate, but I was thinking at the time, my goodness, you know, if they could do that, which I think all of us would agree should deter pedophiles, it's an awful thing. But it doesn't take long before you start getting an electric shock in your brain if you're thinking of voting libertarian. You know, where is it going to stop? Right. So yeah. we don't want the government to be involved in this. And so you have to protect the, the egregious stuff in order to protect everything else. Critically important for our country. Thanks again for talking about Jordan Peterson. I will look him up. Yeah, we're doing a, a sermon series on him right now. It's uh, brain and brainandbible.com. We have a special website for our sermon series. We're doing it in conjunction with Lifehouse Church up in the Valley. And uh, it's, it's been really fun to go through his 12 rules for life, which are just great life principles based on his, his uh, psychological counseling practice. We all need mentoring. It's, it's critically important for our young people to be mentored, but it's important for all of us as well, just to focus on different thoughts, different points of view, different ways of living. I tried to bring my children up by, by focusing on different things and traveling, for heaven's sakes, and reading different books, mm. like Blackberry books, by the way, which, again, I strongly recommend. It brought tears to my eyes to, to read David Householder's book called The Blackberry Bush. But let's, let's change subjects a little bit because you say, and I'm just following your lead, uh, and I agree with you, that immigration is good for America. 
we're, we're a nation of immigrants. It has made us strong in a lot of ways. I tell people that I think we won the Vietnam War because look at all the wonderful entrepreneurial, oh my goodness, solid yeah. Vietnamese people that came over to our country uh, because, in effect, uh, they lost the battle in Vietnam. It's, we've been benefited by that for, forever. But why is immigration good for America, Pastor David Householder? Well, economically and socially and otherwise, the truth is that there are some people who are a problem. And you know that as a judge, and I know that too. But in any population group, there's going to be a couple scoundrels, and that's going to happen. But the truth is, on the whole, on the whole, people are an asset. And the more people, the more assets. People create economic activity. They just do, especially immigrants, because they've got an incentive to do so. They, immigrants in our country have done disproportionately much to to build this country. You look at the owners of the Fortune 500 countries in the United States and the Fortune 500 companies in the United States, and a huge percentage of those people are immigrants. And these people come here to do things and get things done and make things happen. And another thing people don't realize, because we were brainwashed in the 70s by this overpopulation bomb by Paul Ehrlich and those folks, the truth is this country is underpopulated, and that's why we invented railroads and, and telegraphs and cell phones and all these things, because we're so far apart that we have to be able to communicate. And the truth is we have a country that is, is vastly underpopulated, and parts of it becoming depopulated. You look at Detroit, Cleveland, St. Louis, most Main Street towns in the, uh, in the Midwest and the Deep South are just emptying out. And we could use some fresh blood in this country. And people, the idea that somehow immigrants are a liability, that is just plain, factually wrong. And this country has always benefited uh, from immigration. It's just a really good thing for our country to, to have people coming into this country. One of the wealthiest people I know that I surf with, and I won't mention his name because I didn't ask, but uh, he owns a, a factory in, in Los Angeles. And he said, either we bring labor to our capital or our capital will disappear to where there's cheaper labor. Yes, he was Either quoting me. I, I'd said in. that on our radio show before. I'm sure he was quoting that for yeah. me. But it's true. Uh, I, I, and, and it's it much true. more important for the companies to be here in our in our country. Uh, so, and the work to bring the workers here. Uh, the it, it's an also just a downright fact that immigrants have self-selected. You know, it takes a lot of courage yeah. and, and forthwith to to come. Pick up your belongings, pick up your children, come to a new world, come to a place where your culture is different, where you may not speak the language, that you're, you're, you're new on the block, uh, and they come here to pursue the American dream, and they should be applauded in so many ways. What I do say, and I, I believe that, and we should have, an, uh, we've got into this before in this program, All Rise, because if we employ these libertarian values, we will all rise together is the theme, but but. I would not attach welfare to that, that if they want to come here and work and, and support themselves and support their families, bless you. And you can come here, you can get an orange card, you could call it, or a work visa, so that you can work here and, and support yourself and pursue the American dream, uh, but there would not be any welfare attached to that. And, and I think that uh, we would thrive with regard to that. We've thrived in the past, we would thrive in the future. So libertarians are, I believe, no one speaks for the Libertarian Party, certainly not me, but libertarians do have that social conscience, they do have that responsibility, they do have that live and let live and equal opportunity for all, but they really have not been elected 
very often into a public office. I talked to Jeff Hewitt, who was elected last election period into the Board of Supervisors in Riverside County in California, but there really are not very many. But I do understand that libertarians in Europe have gotten into power. David, you know more about Europe. You come you know, from a background there. Uh, you speak Dutch also, as I understand it, but how do libertarians yes. gotten into power in, in Europe? Well, my wife is Dutch, and yes, we do speak Dutch. She's from Holland. She's a naturalized American citizen, very proud to be so, and uh, we're awful glad to have her here as, as an immigrant. But in Holland, as in many countries abroad, the party that is called liberal is actually libertarian. In most countries, the word liberal means libertarian, classical liberal, somebody who wants less government, more freedom. And here, the, the left has sort of co-opted the word liberal to mean big government, which is kind of strange. So that's just a, a different kind of thing. But what happens in parliamentary governments is that you have a lot of different parties, and there's proportional representation, which is something that we don't have here. The, the deck here is stacked against us uh, as libertarians, because there's a duopoly that controls the debates and everything else. But in other countries, what happens is you have libertarians like Mark Rutte in Holland, who's been the prime minister two or three times running now, and he'll get about 20-some percent of the vote, which I think we could get if we had a, a multi-party system here. We could get that next year as libertarians in the United States. And if you have a big enough piece of the pie, you can form coalitions with other groups, and libertarians are especially good at forming coalitions with other groups, because there's lots of points in common with other groups. And uh, it's been wonderful to see these cabinets get built, because you can still be a pure libertarian and still play nicely with others. And that's something which some libertarians in America haven't figured out yet. You also believe, and I do too, that libertarians are good at environmentalism. and They're not considered to be, but they really are. I mean, we just because the government is not involved in the in environment, uh, certainly individuals are. In fact, I interviewed a, uh, a representative from the Nature Conservancy here in California, and the Nature Conservancy has done great, fantastic work at setting aside really important areas in our world, including reefs and, and uh, uh, headwaters of rivers and the rest. It's all done for the private sector. They are employing libertarian values. But what is your view on libertarians being good at environmentalism, Mr. Householder? Well, absolutely. It goes back to private property. If you fly over Georgia, you'll see forests, and you'll see private forests, and it's lush and beautiful. If you fly over the Pacific Northwest, you'll see public forests, otherwise called national forests. And there's a little strip of trees along the highways, but the rest is clear-cut, because that's what we call the tragedy of the commons. When you have public land and central planning running the environmental stuff, it messes up. Whereas you have private forests in the southeast, and they're all thriving because you don't want to mess with your asset, and your asset is the timber there, the lumber. And you selectively harvest, and you're careful to make sure that that forest is there in 20 years. And you, you look for the long run, and you look for profit. The, the whole idea of central planning running environmentalism is crazy. What caused all the smog in Los Angeles? The big freeways we built. Who built that? That was the government. Came in here, built all those things, ripped out our private transportation system, which was the biggest in the world, by the way, the red cars, which was private, profitable, and, uh, and emission-free. <laughs> so the idea that central planning and government is going to fix all these things is just, is just crazy. 
my father was raised in Downey, and he could go from Glendale when he was growing up, because that's where he lived, all the way down to Balboa Bay, Balboa Beach Pavilion in Orange County. It was just by a red car. Of course, after yeah. the World War, it was it was the Goodyear Tire, as I understand it, and one of the oil companies that bought up all the rights of way because they wanted people to drive cars instead. But but these are really important things. We we need to focus upon what the good motives are of individuals in our society and and the rest. And the last thing I would like to talk in a few minutes remaining, I believe that the deficit is the biggest security threat to the United States of America. Uh, I'm older. I'm older than you are, David, but uh, uh, my children are, are, I'm concerned about them from a financial standpoint and my grandchildren, and now I have one on the way who rate for that, but my grandchild is bankrupt uh, because the deficit we're having like a trillion dollar a year deficit in our country. We're going to start printing money. We have been printing money. The libertarians really understand that issue and hooray for that because we have to spread that alarm, do we not? Well, it's, it's already started. The millennials have been slapped with gigantic student loans, and those have been government-sponsored and government-instituted and central-planned. And this, we have a whole generation of people who can't form families because they're five, six figures in debt. It's been an absolute catastrophe for the millennials, and it's going to get worse for the generation after them because all the things they're promising in the Democratic primaries are going to be paid for by our grandkids. Yes, indeed. It's just, you can't kick the road, kick the can down the road that far. And unfortunately, no. No. In, in our system, politicians really don't care about the future. They only care about the next election. So let somebody else worry yep. about us having fought the whole Iraq war on a credit card. You know, it cost us numbers of trillions of dollars, but we didn't pay it. We just borrowed the money. And that's basically where uh, where we are now. And that libertarians bring that responsibility at all levels of society. So there you have it. That's, that's what we're talking about toward a libertarian world. Go to isidewith.com and see how libertarian your views are. I think you will be surprised. Go to the website of www.projectunderstanding and read some of the columns, certainly by my guest here, my wonderful friend David Householder, and others from all walks of various religions, and see the commonalities that we have. We are so becoming polarized in our country today, and, and we just don't need to be. Of course, you know, major in the minors, minor, minor in the majors is accurate. I mean, this is, this is from the mouth of David Householder, a really bright fellow. So, David, thank you for being with us. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your mentoring of us all, and I look forward to seeing you again, but I don't think you're ever going to get me out surfing. <laughs> there's always there's always another swell on the way, Jim, so we're going to have to get, get you out there eventually. Well, speaking of swells, you're, you've been a swell interview, and, and thank you for doing this. Say hi again <laughs> to Wendy, and we just appreciate this. That we know life is complicated, but in many ways, it can be made more straightforward, more understandable, more productive for us all by using these libertarian approaches. We've been listening to them for the last hour. Join us next week as well. And if you're interested, go to the Voice America Network and click on the Variety Channel. Find All Rise the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray, and you can hear any of these past episodes on demand. You could cover all kinds of issues because 
We don't have all the answers, but open and honest and full conversation will lead us in the right direction. And so that's where we're going with this segment of All Rise. We will all rise together. We'll talk to you soon with regard to other segments as well. But in the meantime, again, with my thanks to my friend, Pastor David Householder, thank you for being with us. And this is Judge Jim Gray saying, life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my bones, that help us stand strong. We are Americans all. Strengthen my bones, that help us stand strong.